Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Okay, we're here. I'll show you. Dude, this is a national ballpark museum. They've got displays about all the great old ballparks, not old ball players. And I do mean old. Hey, that's not what I heard. I heard they got a display that features the first homegrown color Rocky. That would be me. Okay, look, there's Bruce Hellerstein over there. He owns the place. Let's go ask him. Hey, that's fine with me. Hi, Bruce. How's it going? Manny, Mark, good to see you guys. Come on in. Hey, Bruce, Manny here doesn't believe me. He doesn't believe you've got a Mark Knudsen display here at your museum. Well, he's sort of right. Right over here, we've got a display all about the Denver Zephyrs. I'm pretty sure Mark's Zephyrs baseball card is in there somewhere. Oh, his minor league card. I got you. Hey, it's something, right? If you say so. So, you two just come down here to see the displays? Actually, we're getting ready to do our podcast. Oh, wow. That's great. I had no idea they let you back on the air, Mark. What's your show called? It's the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. Give me a Knudsen. Knudsen! Thank you. It's been 30 years since I first teamed up behind the microphone. It was at Old Mile High Stadium where they called the Colorado Rockies history-making opening day and inaugural season. They were the original voices of the expansion franchise for the first 10 seasons. And this week, for the first time in two decades, the OGs, Wayne Hagen and Jeff Kingery, are back together behind the microphone and talking Rockies baseball right here with us. Wayne and Jeff talking past, present, and future. That's up next on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. We're back with Bruce Hellerstein, the owner of the National Ballpark Museum across from Coors Field. Bruce, a lot of baseball fans probably haven't been there. Tell them what they're missing. Well, Mark, uh, we're the only museum that is totally dedicated to the old classic ballparks, as well as the history of uh, baseball here in Denver and Colorado. We pride ourselves on being the home of those activities so people can uh, appreciate them. And with respect to the old ballparks, uh, I look at it, not only are they classic and built in location, they are American treasures. How can one think of America without mentioning the Fenways and the Wrigley's, for example? Tell them what they got to do to come see you. Well, we're open regular hours from 11 to 5 daily, with the exception of Sunday. And when we have Rocky home games, we will expand those hours as uh, needed. you got to come see it, Bruce. It's a wonderful place, the National Ballpark Museum on Blake Street, just across from Coors Field. Bruce, thanks. My pleasure, Mark. Manny, what a long, strange trip it's been. Over three decades, the Colorado Rockies finally lose 100 games for the first time in their history, but hopefully that becomes a footnote down the road. We'll see what, how, how things play out. In the meantime, uh, it's been a year of celebrations. A lot of Rockies have talked about the 30th anniversary. I got a chance to come back and be part of that. The other day you were there too, Dante and Larry Walker and everybody. It was really, really good to, to look back and think about all the good things that have happened over, over the past 30 years. But we missed out on talking to Wayne Hagen and Jeff Kingery, the original voices, the OGs, the original voices of the Colorado Rockies. And I got to ask both our, our guests, Wayne and Jeff, is this the first time you guys have done any kind of broadcast together since 2002? Is that accurate? <laughs> it, it might be a... Uh... Uh, I can't think of any other time other than getting together for coffee, Wayne, that you and I have Without a microphone. done any broadcasting. Can you? No, I, I have to admit, uh, when we first met for coffee, you know, we we worked together for 10 years, but we never sat and really visited like we did. And we've done it several times at Starbucks. And uh, I think Jeff looked down at his watch finally and said, my God, we've been We've been here for three hours. We weren't even done. We were just getting in. Well, the you got you guys it, so. are used to the game schedule. You know, you got to be right, in the same right. place in the same spot, sitting together talking baseball for three hours. And there was no pitch clock, so you didn't have to worry about hurrying right. up. 
I got to I got to say one thing, Wayne. I think when those early days, when those games were running 345, 415, uh, you and I would have voted for that pitch clock in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, that is so true. And it's funny, Gary Cohen, who's a friend of ours and a longtime Mets broadcaster now doing television, but started as a radio guy. Uh, I had lunch with him this year and I said, well, I was going to ask you a year ago about how much longer you're going to go. And he interrupts me very abrasively, very quickly and says, wait a second. If you'd asked me last year, I'd probably be nearer to retirement. But this new pitch clock is the greatest thing in the world. It probably and took a shaved a season off of uh or added a season to his life, his baseball broadcasting life, right? Okay, you guys I, I never saw a happier guy. You guys yeah, can, I'll, I'll say one more I'll say one more thing about the pitch clock, Wayne, because I know you and I heard this several times when Vince Scully would come into our booth. He goes, I don't know how you guys would do this. Uh, if I did it, I'd have retired a long time ago. Very uh, true. He always told us we did a game and a half to his one game in Dodger <laughs> Stadium. That's right. It's it's great to have you guys both together again to talk about this. Uh, again, the 30th anniversary of the Rockies. Uh, you guys were there for the first 10 years of that together in the booth. There's some great. There were some great memories. There's, there's got to be great memories of that time. Before we get into the current situation, I'm I'm going to start by throwing out. I got a chance to work with both of you in 1995. Um, remember, Charlie Jones was the TV announcer was doing. Uh, so I guess he had a commencement address. He had some stuff to do NFL stuff, and I got a chance to fill in in the booth with you guys, and that was highlight of my broadcasting career at this point. I mean, I I couldn't have had more fun doing that with both of you, and I remember the night. I, I know that somebody brought this up the other night when the Rockies got bludgeoned by somebody but remember the night when brett saberhagen started for the rockies against the cubs at coors field and we had, and the rockies ended up losing 26 to 7 and there was a three-hour rain delay in the middle of the game you guys remember that one and you stuck the two of you got up and left the booth and let me do three hours of talk radio in the middle of the night by myself that's you awesome man. probably catching a nap i don't blame you if you did that but you guys remember how what are, you, what are your recollections of that night well i remember distinctly uh it being a gruesome night because yes. We said we forfeit. We 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 <laughs> threw up a white flag in our booth just for the yep. rest of the audience to know we gave up. We, there was no hope of them beating the Cubs that night. But yeah, those rain delays and see that just shows the intelligence of Jeff and yours truly because yes. we allowed you to grow yes, as that's a right. talk show guy. <laughs> I appreciate we that. We didn't we didn't take any naps <laughs> or anything. We just wanted to see you improve. Okay, well, thank you. I guess I bet I, I'm, I'm sure Lon Simmons would have done the same thing in that situation for you, Wayne. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, what do you remember about that night? Uh, actually, nothing. I I, I blinked it out. <laughs> I, I was blessed with selective amnesia. That's traumatic. That's a traumatic uh, memory. That you know, was, they, oh, brain but, but you know. there were there have been many of those along the way. I mean, obviously, yep. uh, you know, and and including that. 25 to one game against what the angels this year. I mean, there's, you're always going to have clunkers and I'm, I'm sure there were ones Wayne and I remember too. I, I can't think of anything right off the bat, but I I'm sure there were ones we won 20 to five too. But uh, yeah. yeah, when you get it, when you get a bad one, that's a blowout. You just hope you're on the plus side. And the other one is fun to broadcast. Honestly, the, the ironic part of that was out came in during the playoff season, the, you know, Saberhagen came over, he wasn't a big part of making the playoff push, but nonetheless, the Rockies made the playoffs. And I know that was a, that was a big thrill for you, as a, especially Jeff, as a broadcaster, uh, getting your first taste of playoff baseball. 
Well, the other thing too, I remember is, I mean, Wayne and I were on the, the team plane and I, I don't exactly remember where we were going, but, uh, and that was the very primitive days of cell phone, but somebody got the word that the Rockies had, Geb had made the deal for Brett Saberhagen and the, the emotion and the excitement that went through that plane yes. with all the players was tremendous. It was like, hey, the front office has gone out and gotten to somebody and maybe he's going to help us get to the playoffs. And I, that's from Saberhagen, from the Saberhagen trade. That's what I remember about that one. Yeah, it was, um, it was, those were heady times, second year in existence, make the playoffs. Um, it was just, it was a magical time. How much that meant to you guys as broadcasters, because, uh, and Jeff, I know you'd been doing, you'd done a lot of successful Denver Bears seasons and you'd worked for the Denver Nuggets after that, before coming back to baseball. But, uh, there's just something special about that that, that yep. kind of a run. The Bears in '81 were the only team that yeah. I broadcast that won a championship. But that uh, was a great team, by the way. Oh a yeah, great... that was. We had some tremendous guys. We can get into that later. But you know, I, I think I think for you know Wayne, I, I remember Wayne had the call when the last out was made in the regular season. Is that you know he said something like, you know, their wildest dreams have come true. They're in the wild card. Well. I think it was our wildest dreams too. You know, all of a sudden we're going to broadcast a playoff baseball team in its third year and lost 95 games its first year. And uh, all of a sudden we're going to the playoffs and playing the big bad Atlanta Braves. And uh, that was, that was pretty heady stuff back in 95. I think that's a good segue to, to kind of talk about the current situation because we're a long way from the early nineties Rockies, especially the, the, the teams that kind of, were competitive there in the mid nineties, uh, the 95 team. And then they pro- I, I, I feel like they probably would have done s- potentially had another postseason uh, in them had not had an been for injuries, particularly Larry Walker, breaking his collarbone, other things that happened to that team. Uh, Cause they were even still about a 500 team uh, in the mid nineties. What Jeff is the, is the, to you is the kind of the difference in vibe or feeling around this team versus around that team. Now I know there are some, there are some, uh, logistical differences or roster construction differences. Obviously we don't have the Blake street bombers anymore and all that, but it feels like during those early years, there was this competitiveness, this energy that there it doesn't seem to be anymore. Uh, I would agree to that. Um, I don't uh, follow the Rockies day to day. Obviously like I used to when I was broadcasting the games, but um you know, my feeling was going back when the Rockies came in and then really, even though they'd had some rough years in the in the 2000s, when they got to the World Series in 07, had they been able to maintain that kind of play, uh, not going to the World Series every year, but in contention for the playoffs every year, a chance maybe to go to the World Series if you got hot in the playoffs, uh, they, they could have owned this town. And... Um, you know, that that isn't necessarily the feeling you get anymore, at least, you know, I, hey, I'm guys, I'm just I'm just a civilian, so to speak right now. Uh, you know, so uh, uh, I don't have any insight into that clubhouse or front office or anything like that. But I I, I do think there's some work the Rockies need to do uh, to rebuild and and get that excitement back in this town because you can't have. 40,000 people in the park every night and 20 or 25,000 of them are there to root for the Cardinals or the Dodgers. Wayne, uh, I think uh, Jeff just said it. I mean, it, there's that, uh, we're, you know, what, 
let me just go straight to the question that I asked him. <clears throat> what uh, do you feel like is the difference between the vibe and the feel to that mid nineties competitive team, that team that made the postseason in 95 with the Blake street bombers. Um, there just seemed to be an energy and an edge that there isn't anymore. Um, how do you, what do you see as either being necessary to, to regain that um, or um, just give us your general feeling about what this team, the, the aura surrounding this team now compared to then? Well, I, I look back to 1993 through 95 those first three years and i saw a franchise that took a great deal of pride in what it was doing and they were doing it for the fans because unlike any other franchise in the history of major league baseball you know we think about uh babe ruth and and being traded or actually sold by the red sox to the yankees then he hits the 60 home runs in 1927 and that really uh, sparked it. And they said that that saved baseball because after the 1990, uh, 1919 uh, Chicago White Sox, Black Sox scandal, and and there's no doubt that he did. We'd look back to to a lot of things that happened with Sosa McGuire in 98 and how they supposedly saved baseball after the 94 strike. Well, the thing for the Colorado Rockies, unlike the Florida Marlins, who did draw 3 million fans that first year, that first year they did, but you look at the Rockies, we were 17,000 shy of 4.5 million, which means the fans made this franchise, not the Blake Street Bombers. That came later, but the fans are the ones who put this on the map very quickly. And so every day since Jeff and I first started in 1993 to this very day, I think this ownership and this organization owes the fans more than what they have given them over the last several years. It really bothers me because the fans are the ones who made it. Now, if I sit there and hear another fan, because see, I'm on the periphery too. I'm no longer doing major league baseball broadcasting, but I sure hear a lot from the fans. I hear more from the fans today than I did back as a broadcaster. And I listen to them say, you know, I had season tickets for 20 years and I gave them up. I no longer go to games. I I went to two games last year. I, that just hurts me because this franchise, I, I mean, Jeff and I just in astonishment looked at 80,227 that very first day. Are you kidding me? And then the next year in 94, we're going to break all those major league records that we did in 1993, all because of the fans. So they deserve much more than what they have been given the last four or five years. Let me ask you guys um, about your recollections of Mile High Stadium. A lot of Rockies fans don't remember there was two years of Mile High Stadium there. Jeff, I know you remember it because you did uh, minor league baseball there as well. But it wasn't it wasn't a baseball field. It wasn't a baseball stadium. The press box was, I don't know, awkward. Jeff, is that the best word for it? With the wind blowing the papers around and all that. It was a difficult place. But it had something special with the, the feet stomping in the south stands and all that. There was almost a Broncos vibe to those early early games there. Well, yeah, I, I think the fans were football fans and they wanted to have a baseball team to root for. And to Wayne's point about those crowds in that first year, uh, you know, that stadium held a lot of people. And the funny thing was, you know, we'd get to a game and, you know, there'd be 45 or 50,000 people there. And Wayne and I would look at each other and go, God, there's nobody here tonight. You know, they have 45, <laughs> 50,000 people. And of course, those are uh records that are you know the old cliche they're never going to be broken no, because never. 
I mean, the Dodgers would have to sell out every game just to get close to four million, and there's no other ballpark. There's never going to be another stadium that can hold that many. Even close. Yeah, and and I think um, you know it's interesting because the fans uh, and you 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 Jeff and you and Wayne both said it. The fans are uh, and Wayne in particular underscored it. The fans are you know incredible in this town. I mean, the De- Denver. I mean, I wasn't here when uh, when it all began. You know. Um, but uh, I mean, I've only been here about seven, eight years, but boy, that I, I, but I was watching, you know, when it happened. And I know that that the, 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 the feel of uh, just the, the seismic kind of uh, energy that they had, that. yeah, that they word. had here. Um, you know, I, I remember talking to Larry Walker about it and he said that that first game, cause the Expos were, he was in the, in the building. The Expos were the team that they played the, the first home uh, series here in 93. And he said, I remembered that when I became a free agent because um, I remembered Eric Young's home run. And I remember how the, that the whole venue felt at that moment. And I thought, you know, and obviously it helps that he's just basically following the following along the Rocky Mountains from his home town of British in British Columbia there. But, um, you know, he he that really made an impact on him that I, I want to come here and I want to play baseball here. Um, and now the fans are still very loyal. We've seen that. Um, they, they, they still show up. They still, um, you know, support this team. Um, but uh, let's get to the uh, the elephant in the room. We're, we're recording this the day after they uh, the, the Rockies lost their 100th game for the first time in franchise history. Does Is that a, is that symbolic to you, too, at all? Um, Wayne, I'll go to you first on this one. Is that symbolic to you, too, at all? Um, or is that something that, you know, we saw this one coming and therefore it's just another bleak uh, milestone, dubious milestone along the way to really what, you know, outside a couple of bright spots on the position player side, we can't really see a future for this team. Well, that's what the fans want. That's what the fans uh, deserve is a future. There, There's hope. And when they went to spring training this year, I didn't feel any hope for this team. This is exactly what I thought they would do. In fact, I thought they might lose a hundred games last year and uh, they, they played much better than what I had uh, anticipated. The thing that bothers me most about the, the fans is that, you know, this is a town where, where Jeff did the nuggets and, and look what they did this past year. Uh, the avalanche the year before winning the Stanley Cup. The Broncos, I mean, every day the Rockies must be thrilled that the Broncos are struggling, <laughs> you know. What what if Sean Payton had come in here and they're 3-0? and uh, And then all of a sudden the, the, the ball club, the baseball team, is completely off the uh, sports pages. But right now they got to be grateful that the Broncos are struggling as mightily as they are because it's taking some of the heat off of them. They need heat. They need to have lost 100 games so they could tell the, the people out there, we have hit rock bottom, and now it's time to rebuild. You know, there's only one other major league team that has never lost 100 games in a season. So I, I say that. Who is that? Give, Who is that, Wayne? Do you, well, do you know who that is? I certainly do. They came into existence in 1961. The Angels. Good. The okay. only really? other major league team to not really? lose a hundred games. And, and so that gives you, you know, an idea that every team goes through this. So that's what the Rockies have to tell their fan base. We are one of very few teams that ever went through this. It took us 30 years to lose a hundred games, but we have a future. We have a plan. Well, what's the plan? 
That's what has to be communicated from that front office. It has to be communicated that there is a plan and these people will buy back into it and they start playing and get some young players again. The excitement would, will build again. It isn't, uh, it's not going to be lost on the fans. They will come back. The, yeah, go the ahead, manager, Ray. guys, the manager, when you guys uh, came into existence, Rockies came into existence, Don Baylor, uh, made a point of talking to us in spring training and say, we are not going to lose 100 games. Um, that man's competitiveness rubbed off on, on that's all a, of us. And by the way, that's a big statement for an expansion it is a team. Big statement for an expansion, uh, to say that. Huge, huge. And I think um, he made that a point from day one. And it mattered to him. I don't know that it matters to I mean, I don't. I'm not blaming Bud, Bud Black for any of this. I, I think the world of Bud Black. I think he's gr- a great manager, perfect guy for this job. At some point, he just has to throw up his hands and say, "We're going to go with these young guys, and we're going to take our lumps, and that's how it's going to be." But um, is there something that the, the team can do, guys? You've Wayne, you've been around a lot of really good teams, Cardinals, Mets, all those. Is there some message that can be sent out early in spring training that, "Hey, we're taking, we're moving up from here. That was rock bottom. We're on our way back up now." Well, like I said, it has to be communicated. It has to come from the very top. And and here's another element. And and see if you guys, and I'm very anxious to see what, and not to put Jeff on the spot, but I want to see what he thinks of this. I've never discussed this with him. But there's something to be said for a team that has kind of uh, lingered over the course of the last several years doing the same old, same old. And the reason I say that is because so many people within this organization have been here for all these years since the nineties. Yep. And there are no, there are no new ideas. The creativity is at a very low level. And, you know, I think about the last outside guy that's been hired in this franchise and it was Dan O'Dowd. Everybody else has been there. They've moved up from their, respective positions greg feasel example of that being a vice president of marketing and he was basically the no guy we know that he was the no guy you bring an idea to him no that's not going to work and that's not a knock on him but that's what his job was was, and now he's the president of the team at overseeing baseball operations what I, i i they need new blood they need new blood they need somebody to come in there that has great creativity and uh, we'll move this organization forward. Well, I couldn't agree more. I, I think uh, I think the problem right now is that uh, this organization is so inside that if things don't work, they don't have an idea how to make it better because their ideas were the ones they thought were going to work. Um, this organization needs to seriously look at finding the next uh, great general manager from the outside, finding the next Theo Epstein, getting a guy in here who's going to be able to make decisions, not just at the major league level, but in terms of all of the key departments that you have that lead to a winning ball club if the people running those organizations are doing the job and doing it well. And right now, you don't have that. And so, uh, you know, to the people, to the fans who say uh, Dick Monfort needs to sell the team, that isn't going to happen. No. What Dick needs to do, in my humble opinion, is to go out and, again, find that kind of general manager, that far anxiety, that next Theo Epstein, whoever it's going to be, who comes in with some dynamic ideas and some 
excellent ways to go about building a ball club that then has a chance a couple of years from now to go out and start to win. And then as you start to win, you start to win the next year and the next year and the next year. And pretty soon, if you do it right, you become a team like the Dodgers or the Braves. I think <clears throat> I think that um, that's interesting. I think that one thing the Rockies don't have right now um, is a president of baseball operation. There's something akin to that. Uh, it's something that where it's not necessarily, I mean, a lot, that's a, that's a, that's a kind of chameleon like job because sometimes some teams have a president of baseball ops. That's also the GM. Some teams have a president of baseball ops. That's, that's separate from the GM. Um, you wonder if the Rockies could use that. Bill Schmidt seems to be uh, someone who, you know, when you look at Bill Schmidt, I, I, I feel like you see somebody who has a, a plan in his head, but he's not exactly the most communicative of that. Uh, he doesn't, he, he doesn't come out and tell, you know, all the details, it's everything's very close to the vest, although that's kind of kind of how the Rockies are as an organization, how they have been. But if you bring somebody out like Jeff, you know, if you bring somebody in, like Jeff said, as a president of baseball ops or somebody to join this group, uh, then they can keep their, you know, their folks because that seems to be that what they want to do. But they can also bring somebody in from the outside and inject that new blood, inject some new ideas. Um, that, they, that had that guy. they had that guy, man. His name was Kelly McGregor. Well, yeah, yeah. And, but that's the thing. They had, and having had, lost Kelly. Had, Kelly, had, listen, had, I can tell you this. I can tell you this from firsthand experience. Kelly wanted exactly what Jeff just described. He wanted outside ideas. He wanted yeah. new new thought processes. He actually actively looked for that. He made phone calls. I know he told me he talked to Jack McKeon on a regular basis, trying to learn about baseball and get eyes on how's he put it. How are we do? How does the outside world see what we're doing? And when Kelly passed away, it was a monumental loss for this organization. I know Jeff, when you guys knew Kelly very well, they just have, they've never replaced Kelly McGregor. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I want to say a couple of things before Je Wayne jumps in one um, the over, they're still reeling from that. It seems yep, they the are. overarching, the overarching um, issue is something that Jeff, you, Jeff and Wayne have both said, I think, and also alluded to in pretty much all, all throughout this, this, this episode so far. And that is that, there are two things there's plan there's no there's there doesn't seem to be at least from the outside right because yes. of again and the and the reason for this is the second point that you guys made the first point was the plan is there a plan what is it secondly communicate that communication it's a team that you don't hear from very much right it's it's a team that you you don't if there's a plan we don't know what it is right and when you don't know what it is and there's no real communication to the outside about what that might be or what direction the team is going in and then you see stagnation the way you have over the last um, since since, you know, 17, 18, when they went to the postseason, then the obvious assumption that gets made from the outside is there is no plan because and there is no direction um, right now. It seems that they are rebuilding without saying it uh, there. They you know, and, and a little bit of that was forced, right, because of all the injuries that happened this year, they were forced to play a lot of the young guys. But. Now, you know, guys like Nolan Jones, who I think is a legitimate star for this team. I think this is a guy, he's got all these tools and he's, you know, he's got a long way to go, you know, and, and we, we've seen sophomore slumps from even guys like Trevor Story and others. But, you know, he's he's done as well as you can you could ask for for a guy uh, of, of his uh, of his size and strength and speed. And that's a good sign. Tobar's been pretty good. That's a good sign. But outside of that, and and Mark alluded to this on I think on uh, on social media recently, the, the pitching development. There's no pitching, and there's no there's no pitching all the way down to you know the lower levels of the minor leagues. They're all injured, and, 
and injuries, obviously, yes, that, that, that you can't help. You can't really help that. Then again, sometimes you can't help that though. Sometimes, sometimes it depends on how you're training. Then, you can do something about it. But that. then again, you know, again, what's the plan? Everything's nebulous. So I think they're kind of looking at what they have over the next couple of years. The question is going to be when you find out what you have in your young guys, what do you do then? I think 2025, 2026, by then, we're going to know if this team is still going to be bad for another decade or if they're going to move in a, in a, in the, in the right direction. What I'm hearing from you guys, Jeff and Wayne, is that you think this, maybe this, this hundred losses is a, is a, is a significant symbol of where this team is and not just another, well, we expected this to happen. Well, it, it is a slap in the face. I, I mean, you know, there's just, there's not too many teams that go out and lose a hundred games every year. And, uh, but I, I think the, I think the big thing is they, they played some young kids this year and and they the Rockies don't like to use the word rebuild, but they went with the younger kids. And I think offensively, they they started to get some answers. Uh, I think that obviously the huge thing and they traded, uh, you know, they got rid of a bunch of veteran players that weren't going to be able to help them the next couple of years uh, while they while they were rebuilding. They brought in, what, seven pitchers at those trading deadline deals. Uh, all at various stages of development. You, you hope you hope one of those guys or two of those guys come forward and are able to help the ball club. But more more to the point, I think you're always going to be able to attract hitters here. You're going to have to find some pitching. I think you could look at next year right now and say the Rockies offensively could put a decent lineup on the field. Pitching. Not even close. And if that isn't addressed, you're looking at another 100 loss season. Wayne? Yeah, I look back at uh, some of the milestones. I, I think about Eric Young, uh, the home run that he hit that very first game. I think of Dante Bichette in the 14th inning with Jeff at the microphone at Coors Field. That was a milestone. The, uh, you know, 4,483,000, that was a milestone. I look back to 2007 when Jeff got to call that last out on that stretch at first by Todd Helton and the 21 out of 22 and to go to a World Series. Sometimes I've looked in retrospect and said that might have been the worst thing that ever happened to the Colorado Rockies because you don't see a team win 21 out of 22. You don't see them steamroll Philadelphia and Arizona to get to the World Series and then have eight days off. And that's like having two months off in baseball. And I look back to that, that that may have been the worst thing that ever happened because the expectations became so high. But here's the final milestone that has bothered me since the day it happened. And people have to investigate why this happened. Why was Nolan Arenado traded? <laughs> he was going to be the greatest franchise player here. I'm not saying he was the greatest player because I think – in many ways, Jeff and I would uh, agree wholeheartedly that Larry Walker was the greatest player, all yeah. the five tools and all that. But Arenado was the Rockies guy. And yeah. to trade him and to give $50 million to the Cardinals, I wish I could have been on the other end of that deal and got 10%. It would have been a fabulous deal. So that milestone, they have not overcome. That has changed the entire fan base and their attitude towards this team. And then to have that the next year follow with Trevor Story and company, it's just Arenado will always be the stain on this team until they get the plan, work the plan, 
and be successful with the plan. I, I, I have said this before. I think that they, they should have this this re, this unspoken rebuild should have begun right after Arenado because the Arenado thing was an implied admission of failure. This was the face of the franchise, literally the cornerstone at the at the you know hot corner. He was going to be the guy that they built a championship kind of team around, right? Because he was a generational and is a generational talent. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. But I, I think after he, regardless of what people feel about the trade, once he was gone, this process that we just kind of saw almost forced upon the Rockies because of injuries, et cetera, with the youth movement, that should have started uh, three years ago. Because I think, Trevor Story, I think Trevor Story, I think Trevor Story had one foot out the door already when Arenado was gone and they should have kind of seen the writing on the wall started up think about where we might be with this team now if they had done this started this process three years earlier but yeah. Manny the question still has to be answered why was he traded oh and well I, I, yeah you can, and I, you can I think see, was, you could see between the lines what yeah. really happened well that's that the thing I think Friday. I think the answer lies within the question um because yeah. we could see like you say between the lines what happened and it seems Sometimes things are just as they seem. And I and what it seems to be is that the Rockies signed him to a massive deal and then did nothing, virtually nothing, to support around him. And it didn't take all that much. You had Story, you had Arnada, you had Blackman, you had LeMahieu, all pretty much in their prime, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't get it done. And that young pitching core of Marquez and Freeland, you couldn't get it done. And that doesn't, you know, all you have to do is, 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 is augment on the side around these guys and you can make something happen. And I think Arenado saw that and he's like, you know what? I'm not getting any younger. Hey Jeff, you were, you were behind the mic during the Todd and the toddlers era, early two thousands when they were rebuilding. And you know, that generation R was, was basically a, this is rebuild. And they were announcing that they were doing a rebuild, but attendance went South. They didn't draw the kind of crowds they normally draw. And I think they're fearful now of using the word rebuild before because they don't want to go back to what you saw in t- when the attendance went down while they were rebuilding in the early 2000s. Well, I'd agree with you on that. But I but I think also um, the idea of, uh, you know, 98 losses, 99 losses, right. 100 losses, <clears throat> we all know that doesn't really make a difference. Right. But if you throw down 100 losses – you're going to have to level with the folks. You're going to have to tell them, hey, look, the way we've done it for a while, it's not working. We haven't been competitive for a while. We're going to have to try something new. And they really need to come out and say, we promise you we will. And here's what we're going to do. Number one, number two, number three. Um, And again, I I think fans, fans, as Wayne said earlier, are not going to go away. Uh, they're in a they haven't. Point. I mean, they haven't. They're you know. waiting. They're waiting to see what the Rockies are going to do. And if the if the guy comes in, the next Theo or whoever it's going to be, or if it's Bill Schmidt or if it's Monfort, whoever says it, we're going to do these things. Yes, we need to rebuild. The the fans aren't going to aren't going to get angry about that. They're going to say, "Fine, show us some results." They want to see some results. progress. I would yeah. think they would be. I would think they would be kind of relieved yeah. that, that look we're too. moving. We're moving in a direction now that's forward, that's forward looking, that's future, and not kind of whether they believe it or you know what, what whether I mean. Look, bottom line is when you say you're going to be competitive and you have a roster like that, that just I mean it it it, 
to the fans that doesn't communicate anything other than status quo. And um, I think that, you know, again, that's why when, when we started this, this, this podcast today, I, I, I wanted to kind of get your guys feelings on the difference between the era that you guys yeah. broadcast, particularly in the nineties, in the mid nineties. And now, because see, the thing about it is, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on this broadcast, we've had Dante on, we've had uh, Ellis on, we've had other people on talking about, you know, how this team was then, you know, in those times. And it always seemed to be that they had a chip on their shoulder. They had this kind of, this kind of feeling like, you know what, we're going to destroy you at Coors Field and we're going to make this place a nightmare for you. And you know what? Yeah, we're going to lose on the road because no, no Rockies team has it. It's physics. It's the, it's the ball. It's the, it's the movement. Everybody does. Even every single Rockies team lose on the road. Yeah, I know. But, but the Rockies more so because of the fact that they they have that challenge. You got to own that. You got to chalk up the 40 losses on the road and say, we're going to win 55, 60 at home. And that's how we're going to make it work. But the thing is, is that, um, I, I, you know, before we run out of time, I'd like to talk to get both of you guys, um, uh, opinion on that topic on the whole being afraid of your home ballpark and walking on eggshells when you play baseball in Colorado because everything's always you always feel snake bit or you know what owning what the situation is and deciding we're going to make Coors Field what Ellis Burks would call I think they might have even a t-shirts made up for this nightmare on Blake Street we're the nightmare on Blake Street when we come home Wayne what do you think well, I would agree with Ellis. It it was a nightmare for these teams. Uh, you know, Jeff talked about it earlier about Vin Scully. I remember Bob Murphy, the longtime Hall of Famer uh, broadcaster for the New York Mets. He'd be mumbling to himself going to the elevator after a game. Of there you go. <laughs> That's what they need, man. Pinball machine. I mean, it was yeah. it was what well, what you've got to you've got to create again. And uh, you know, it's I, I just don't know. How they're going to do it, I don't That's know. That's the problem. Whom. They put themselves yeah, into a box. I don't know with whom they're going to do it either. I, I really yeah. don't. But it's uh, Coors, Coors Field was always such an advantage. I, I never felt like the team, uh, uh, for example, the day that they beat the uh, Giants for the wild card in 1995, what were they down? Jeff, 8-2 to two at one point in that game. And you and I never gave up hope that they would come back. And sure enough, they did and won. So, and they had an attitude about it. Joe Girardi told me about that game. He said, eight to two, that's two to one in this park, especially before the humidor, you know, and they got oh, it done. Yeah. Jeff? Coors Field was a very scary place for opposing teams to come to play. And you've got to get that attitude back. Uh, you've got to level with the fans, start to finish, tell them what you're going to do, who you're going to bring in to run this team and set this operation Go out and get players, whether it's through trades, free agent signings, drafts, whatever it is, get it done. The players make whatever is going to happen on that field happen. If you don't have the players, you're not going to scare anybody. So go get those players and make it happen. And level with the fans that you're going to take a year or two or three, whatever it's going to take to get it done. But eventually, if you do it right, you're going to get back to where it was, where other teams just did not want to come to play here. And I yeah, think that, I mean, well, I Don that, Baylor, Don Baylor gets credit for that too because he cultivated that. He 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 made sure people knew they were coming in to play at Mile High, and he was he was bet. cultivating that in a positive way. And I, I think no manager since has has done the same thing as Don Baylor did. And I think there that, still that hasn't I, been a team that, that hit two hundred homers and steal him two hundred bags. Yep. In a season, and you know, with with what Acuna and the Braves are doing in Atlanta this year even they won't reach that mark, you know? So Acuna is going to have 70 steals and they're still going to be short of 200 as a team. 
And so uh, that kind of chaos at Coors Field, chaos at Coors, you know, that's what they need to have. Ooh, make a T-shirt. Make a T-shirt. Let's, let's, let's trademark it. Let's trademark it. <laughs> Uh, or yeah, I so think, but I think Dion already has the trade all the trademarks. I know he's taking them all, but uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's that's right. And and there just hasn't been that uh, that feel to this team where when they're playing at home, you're confident that you know what, more often than not, way more often than not, they're going to win at Coors Field and make this place a nightmare. You know, talking to you know opposing managers that come through here, it's like most of them just say, you know, we just want to get out of here healthy and, and, uh, and we want to get out of here with a bullpen that's relatively upright and intact. Um, they never say much about, or anything about, they never say anything about the hitters on the other side. They don't ever say anything about being afraid of course field because of the fact that they're going to get blown away. Um, and they got to have that whole mentality of we're taking the last batting practice, like last batting practice group, like the bombers did, because that's when the other pitchers stretch, the opposing pitchers get to see a little preview of what we're going to do to them. Um, but again, we've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Um, the question now is, is it going to happen? Uh, what do you, Wayne, uh, starting with you and then Jeff, what do you guys see in the next, let's say three years for this team? Not what should happen, but what will happen. My thoughts are that they still have to experiment. There have been a lot of failures, a lot of failures along the way. The signing of Ian Desmond, that was not good. Uh, I think Brian Chris has Brian, followed that. Yeah. Brian isn't a good signing. You know, it, it's just and, and when you hire or put together a team that with Chris Bryant on there, yeah, he's a great guy. He, he did a lot of wonderful things with the uh, Chicago Cubs, but it, it has not resonated here in Colorado and has not resonated with the fans. And no. I even look back to a guy I used to listen to all the time was Whitey Herzog. Waddy Herzog lived up in Frisco, up in the mountains, to get out of that St. Louis heat because that's where he still lives. And he would come out, and he'd have all the ideas. And he came up with the idea that the Rockies should have a fleet-footed outfield. And the one thing that happened because of those those comments made by Waddy Herzog, people paid attention, and they brought in Juan Pierre. But there was one problem with Juan Pierre. That? But training the outfield also means you have to have an arm. Yeah, and it true. was very difficult, you know, for him to patrol the outfield if he had to make a, a throw. Yeah. And so those things, you know, I, I, I like the experimentation, but my gosh, there are certain things that we have seen happen in the last 30 years that have been proven commodities at Coors Field. And that is power and more power. And, and that's what they've got to do get back to in my opinion is get back to some more sluggers not be afraid of paying these outlandish salaries and get guys like kevin ritz and and there's a whole list of them that i could come up with guys that just threw the sinker and just didn't care about their era they were never going to be uh sacrificial lambs in in Coors field because of their eras they could always combat that with their salary talks but just give us a chance. You know, if it means that the team has a chance to win seven to six or eight to seven or whatever, so be it. Forget about I, the ERA. Win ugly. But, uh, I will, I will, ugly think about win. I, will um, I will disagree with you on one point, Wayne. I, I think the sinker model is just proven to not work here. I think they need to go get power pitchers and guys who can strike people out. 
Is that the trend in baseball? They've got to join that trend and stop trying to make sinker ball pitchers out of guys who are with 95, 96, 97 mile hour fastballs and just join the trend of the rest of baseball and go after the power guys and find some way, shape, or form to keep them healthy. Because no matter what, what level they're playing with the Rockies, A ball, the big leagues, everybody's getting hurt. And that's not a coincidence. I know it happens all throughout baseball, but it happens, seems to happen more with this organization. They got to find a way to keep their arms healthy and, and get, you mentioned power hitting, they need power pitching too. Well, I agree with that to a certain extent. What I meant by the Kevin Ritzes and, yep. and guys like him and Pedro Stasios, th- yep. those guys competed yes. and didn't care Agreed. about their ERA. So that was my point there. Yep. Now, there, there's a great point you just made, though. Kyle Schwaber, I'm not, I'm not up to date. I know he was at 198 uh, strikeouts, yeah. which is ridiculous in one season. And he's probably got more now. That I checked that a few days ago. But think about how much the game has changed. You look back to Tony Gwynn in the entire decade of the 90s, didn't strike out that often. In an entire decade, this guy's done it in one season. Well, let's let's let's, on that topic, um, the Atlanta Braves have, if you go and look at their strikeout rate, wow, has it come down. I mean, yeah, these guys are, they just hit their 300 and 301st home run of the season uh, yesterday, but they don't strike out either. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing is like, you know, I'm like, you know, everybody has been talking about in this recent era that, well, you know, you got to sell out for power, but we're going to at the cost of more strikeouts and less contact. How about both? How about be the little girl in the taco commercial where they're talking about we want tacos, but we don't want them to fall over. You know, so they put a little flat bottom on the taco and she says, well, let's have both. Let's have a taco that stands up, you know. Why can't we have contact and power? Right. And, and I know that I'm asking for the world here. But at the same time, the Atlanta Braves are doing it. And I know that the Atlanta Braves have done a very good job in terms of they're they're the opposite of the Rockies. Right. I I think if I'm not mistaken, Atlanta is the second highest altitude in Major League Baseball. Is that right? Well, maybe Arizona uh, might be. I I think Arizona. Arizona But nevertheless, I think on the spectrum, they're the opposite. Right. Mm -hmm. Of the Rockies. They've signed amazing young players to long term deals. They're set for the next 10 years in terms of competitive uh, being competitive. But they also figured out. The goal is not just power. The goal is power and contact. And think about course field, that outfield, and how the ball flies. Put those things together. Power, speed. If you play the brave style of baseball here, again, it's a long way from reality because of what the the, the corner they put themselves in with their roster construction and the salaries. And when they do open their wallet, they pay 182 billion dollars to a guy who's going to play a guy who's going to play what 150, 125 games in two years and give you negative yeah. war. Yep. You know so. Again, make more sound decisions with free agents. Yep. Develop uh, now. Look, pitching. They talked about developing pitching, right? Well, Doesn't one way or the other, you're going to have to get to that place where you have the guys that Wayne talked about. Jeff, what do you think is is that? What do you think is what we're going to see? Not necessarily what's maybe what should happen, but what we're going to see in the next next three or four years. Well, guys, I, I hope we're going to see a process play out where you start to get some of those people that can help you. Um, You know, Mookie Betts is a prime example of what you guys have been talking about. Here's a guy who hits doubles. He hits home runs. His on-base percentage is 410. I mean, you put the ball in play in Coors Field, good things are going to happen. You get on base 41% of the time, good things are going to happen. Give me five Spencer Striders. Uh, <laughs> give me give me 
four or five. Give me nine Mookie, Ronald Acuna's. Okay, yeah, give go. me four or five Mookie Betts's or Acuna's. And and to add to the other point that that Wayne was talking about, you know, going out and getting those pitchers. Jason Jennings is a guy I'd throw in there too with the Kevin Riches and guys yep. like that. Yep. That Estacio guys that were just hard asses. They they yep. were not going to get beat. Um, yep. You know, and if they got beat, they got beat throwing their best stuff. And they were going to go out and go after you every day. Whether they gave up six runs or eight runs or not, they give you a chance to win almost every time. But the other thing I, I would point out is the years that the Rockies have been really successful, they have had awesome bullpens. And yeah, really. if you if For you sure. can put that bullpen together, uh, then you can go back to the 95 season where those pitchers, those starters were giving up four, five, six, seven runs but the bullpen would come in in the fifth or sixth inning and hold them down and give that offense a chance to win. So uh, there's a recipe for it. It's going to take a while. Uh, you need to have a process, a method to the madness of putting it together. But if the fans start to see something along those lines of progress, um, you're they're going to get behind it. Now, whether you're going to spend the money uh, to get a Kyle Schwarber or a Mookie Betts or a Spencer Strider or guys like that, um, that's the million dollar question because they have been willing to spend money. They're not cheap. Their budget is usually in the middle of the pack in or terms higher. of yeah. uh, payoff, That's what's so uh, sad what about this whole thing. A yearly team. Yep. But you've got to make those right decisions. Hey guys, we got we got to wrap this up. This has been fantastic, awesome. Everything we could have hoped for. We need to do this more often. In fact, do me a favor, do Manny and I a favor. The next time the two of you go out for coffee, just record it. Just yeah, just record it, do our job for, for us so that we don't yeah, have to do Wait a minute, that, that'd be X-rated. That doesn't matter. This is a podcast. We can do that. Just just <laughs> record it and let, let's start. I mean, a Wayne and Jeff podcast would not be the worst thing in the world. That would be pretty cool, actually, right now, if we could do something like that. So just keep that in mind next time you guys go out for coffee. It's been fantastic having the OGs Thanks, on. Thanks, guys. Um, Great stuff. On the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. We will do this again when this, we make the schedules match up. And Wayne, hit them straight when you're out there, okay? You got it, bro. All right. Thank Mark, Danny, thanks a million. Great Wayne, talk to you soon. You Manny, got a closer for me? Yes, sir. It's Again, Manny, you know, it's hard to follow a masterpiece for is, eight innings for the these two guys, but you know what? I will do my best. All right. Manny's going to come and close it out right after this. Stay with us. It's the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. We're back right after this. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Well, it has happened. The Rockies have lost 100 games in 2023. They had never lost 100 games in a season before. But is the 100 loss mark really all that meaningful for this team? History will be the judge of that when we look back 5-10 to ten years from now. That's because the only way a 100-loss season is meaningful is if a club turns things around from there, and over the following few seasons, turns into a contender. The Orioles, who lost 110 games two years ago and are now in the postseason, are an example of that. That 100-loss season in 2021 will be looked back upon in a positive light because of what followed. The problem in Colorado is, at least from the outside looking in, there doesn't appear to be a coherent plan going forward. We've talked about it many times on this podcast, but that's because it's such a major theme for the Rockies. They are without an identity, and it have been since Nolan Arenado departed for St. Louis in 2021. So what about right now, in this moment, in the immediate aftermath of the first 100-loss season in Colorado Rockies history? Is it significant? I think the answer is yes and no. 
It is significant in the sense that it is a new low point for a team that has been sinking since the Arenado trade, a moment in franchise history in which the face of that franchise was dealt in an implied admission that whatever the Rockies were trying to build had failed. At the same time, it isn't significant in the sense that 100 is just another number. If they had lost 98 games, they would not have set a new franchise record for losses in a season. And if nothing changes in terms of the club's direction moving forward, this season will just be one in a long line of losing seasons. As the 2023 campaign comes to a somber close for the Rockies, there have been few bright spots. Nolan Jones and Ezekiel Tovar seem to have what it takes to be the club's next star players. But beyond that, there is an immense gap that needs filling between where Colorado is now and where it would like to be in a few years. Manny with another closeout effort to put his stamp on this edition of the park-adjusted Rockies podcast. Thanks again to the OGs, the original radio voices of the Colorado Rockies, Wayne Hagen and Jeff Kingery, for teaming up right here for the first time since 2002. It was a treat. And thanks to you for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.